Welcome back for episode nine of Self-Signed Artist. In this episode, we're going to be discussing social proof, something you should be thinking about while you're building your brand and every single time you release new music. So stick around because by the end, we might even have you questioning your own musical preferences and why you like what you like. You're listening to Self-Signed Artist, the podcast that helps independent musicians run their brand like a business. Now, your hosts, Kobe Nelson and Jake Mannix. How's it going, everybody? I'm Kobe Nelson, and I'm here with audio engineer and artist extraordinaire, Jake Mannix. Hello, hello, hello. What's up? What's up? How you been? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. More computer problems today, but we're going, so we're here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so I think the topic we have lined up today is super important for musicians to think about, and it's something that we all at least sort of know inherently, but when it comes to putting it to use to actually help us in our careers we brush it off and we just kind of hope for the best. So if you look all the way back to episode one, I laid out a bunch of scenarios that artists assume are the path to success. Remember those? So forgetting about social proof, the topic of the day, is really one of the core issues that I think leads to all of those assumptions about how to become a successful artist. And really, this all comes down to one specific question that we need to ask ourselves. And it's something that we don't normally consider at any point when we're listening to music or when we're finding new music. And that question is, why do people actually like what they like? We want to jump to the conclusion that we like something because it's good. Like there's something inherently good in this music that we've found that we just know in our hearts is worth listening to. And and that's the reason that we actually like something. But I don't know if that's actually completely true because if that were completely true, then I don't think marketing as an entire industry and really marketing is an entire industry. I don't think that would even be a thing, right? Like why would you need somebody to market to you if you only liked things because they were actually good. Do you know what I'm do you know what I'm saying there? Right. Yeah. How about how about the songs that you just end up liking because you've heard them so many times? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing that we don't really talk about. Like I can remember one specific example for me of a song that kind of did that was back in high school. There was a fundraiser at the school where I don't know what organization it was, but they were raising money for something. And the way they were raising money is they were playing Miley Cyrus, Party in the USA, in the cafeteria every day on loop for the entire lunch period. Nice. And in order to get them to stop playing it, you had to donate money. And then once they reached a certain goal, they would stop playing the song every day on loop at lunch. And of course, like everybody started off hearing this song every day over and over and over again. And it was super annoying. And we all hated it. This went on for like two weeks. And after a couple days of it happening, I would find myself like walking around the hallway between classes, Mm -hmm. like singing the song. Song's a hit. That song is a hit. I still like that song to this day. And that doesn't really make any sense. You would think that that would be 
a perfect reason to hate the song. Yeah. You've heard it 500 times in a row every day for two weeks. But I heard it so many times that I actually like it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of a weird phenomenon. You, you should have gone up to him and said, listen, I know you don't have the licensing for this. <laughs> how about i i bring you a lawsuit and you give me money or miley cyrus money i guess how about you stop playing the song we'll call it good yeah <laughs> but but i think really that is the core of what we're talking about today this hearing a song a ton of times and then eventually you you start to think that it's actually good and you start to like it uh and i think that's actually something that's built in to human nature that comes from an evolutionary piece of our, our human history. You know what I mean? So we as people don't actually come to our own conclusions about what we like all that much, I don't think. So if we turn that question around, maybe I'll ask you this question, Jake, and see if you can come up with an answer for yourself. How do you actually form opinions about what's good or cool and what isn't? Uh, what aligns with what I value. But why do you value what you value? I'm not sure. Ooh. <laughs> it, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's a trick question, really, because I don't know if I can answer that for myself either. Because here's, here's the thing. Three of the artists that I listen to on repeat right now, I did not like a few months ago. Like, they would come on and I would say, hmm, get that off. I don't like this. Can you recall the specific thing that made you change your mind? Um, hearing different songs by them and hearing them in different moods. I think it's also like whether you like a song or not depends on the mood that you're in, too. I think that's true. But I think even on top of that, it really comes down to more than just yourself or more than even just your own feelings about anything. And this kind of circles back to the party in the USA thing. I think what really caused me to eventually start liking that song is actually our topic for today, which is social proof mm. that other people were also starting to sing this song around the school. And everybody's kind of like, I should hate this song, but I kind of like it that kind of gets in your head and you're able to start forming opinions about something that seems like you're forming opinions for yourself, but it's really coming from outside influences. We're going to talk about this in a lot of different scenarios today in this episode, I think, but there are a lot of people who can be that influence for you. So the obvious ones are like influencers, like on social media or things like that. Celebrities can be huge influencers. Like if a celebrity calls out something, whether it's a product or an artist or a movie or something like that, people are much more likely to jump on it and then start liking it themselves. There are trendsetters and early adopters of things. And we're going to circle back to that a little bit later when we talk about streaming services and stuff like that. And I can think of many times, like you said, that when I first heard something for the very first time, I didn't like it. And I don't know, maybe you can say the same thing for yourself, maybe not. For me, a lot of the times, the things that keep me there, keep me listening to something over and over and over again, even though at first I didn't like it, it's because people around me liked it. It was recommended to me by somebody else. Or I heard that there was another person out there, a celebrity or something like that, who liked this song and shouted it out on social media. So that puts this seed in your head that says, 
there might be something worth checking out here, even though I heard this and I didn't like it. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> like if you hear, so when you hear a song for the first time and you don't like it, what is it that made you listen to more songs by the same artist? Like that logically doesn't make sense for you to do. You hear something, you say, this isn't good. Why do you then say, oh, I have to figure out what else this artist puts out? Because maybe that's good, you know? No, I mean, no. For me, it's, I listen to a lot of like Spotify playlists, not like created by other people, but like, I don't know, all of my friends are into music. So I'm constantly finding out about who they're newly into. But how I find new music is through Spotify all the time. Related artists is amazing and it's spot on. Or like the daily mixes, which are also, I mean, they can be hit or miss. They can be, but I don't know. That's exactly how I came across these three artists that I did not like when I first heard them. And now I listen to them all the time. So I'm super, super glad that you said that. We're going to hold that thought for when we come back a little bit later to talk about streaming services, because that is exactly what I wanted to get at with social proof. To me, in my mind, that situation being suggested something by Spotify is the perfect example of modern social proof. So mm. hold that thought and we're going to come back to it. I want to, before we go into what social proof really is at its core and things like that, I want to talk about one more aspect that's kind of a tangent, not super related, but I think it will help us kind of form a picture of what this is. And that's actually in the fashion industry. So this goes way beyond music as well. And I think fashion is a good example because it is super trend-based and oftentimes a short trend. So think about it this way. When you look back at fashion trends of the past, even like within our own lifetimes and things like that, it's kind of funny to look back at something. You say, at the time, I was really into this and I thought this was the coolest thing in the world and everybody was wearing this or dressing this way, buying these shoes or whatever. And at the time, that seems like the epitome of style. And then you look back at that five years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, and you think, what were we all thinking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, look back at, like, high school days and... Oh, I have. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's cringy to look back at all that stuff. And, and I have to think about, like, why did we actually do any of that? Why did I wear, I don't know, I was all about, like, studded belts and, like, super, super skinny jeans and stuff Dude, like I that. Dude, I cannot, I can't picture it. I mean, to be fair, like, I would not call myself <laughs> the epitome of cool <laughs> by any stretch. But, you know, like, I was into a uh, heavier rock scene. Yeah. Like, I wanted to be part of that. <laughs> so I, I think that's part of it. But but why did anybody wear that? Like you look back on it now and it's so terrible. Like shirts that were like two sizes too small and stuff like that. Oh like, my gosh, the graphic tees. Oh yeah. The amount of colors. Oh, yeah. Like so much. So why did any of that happen? And really it comes down to this idea of social proof. Somebody does that at some point and other people see it and they say, huh, that's different. I don't know how I feel about that. And then somebody else tries that same thing. And over time, the more people you see doing it and pulling it off, because 
whatever, their personality can pull it off or things like that. It becomes a socially acceptable thing and it becomes a trend. Does that make sense? This is like super, super skimming the surface of like trend and like, I don't know, mob mentality, I guess, when it comes to to fashion and stuff like that. But do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. So I think the fashion industry is just a good example because it's so visual and it's easy to look back on things. Music is a little bit different. So we're going to get to that a little bit later. One other thing that I think we do have to kind of think of when we're talking about social proof is social proof in business. And on the surface, this may not seem super, super related, but I think you'll find that it it is related in the end and something that if you if you think about this when it comes to your music, it will actually help you. So social proof in business is pretty straightforward. Like, Jake, have have you ever seen in your life a commercial? Yes. Yep. (laughs) So one of the key components, I think, in advertising is this idea of social proof. So when you're watching a commercial, next time you're watching a commercial even, I want you to kind of just think in the back of your mind about what is actually going on. Like, what are they trying to get across to you in this advertisement? What are they trying to make you feel? What are they trying to make you think about yourself? And and so often now we kind of tune out commercials. But if you pay attention to advertisements and things like that, you can find little things that work. And they work in music too, which is kind of why I wanted to bring this up. So a commercial or an advertisement is really all about helping a potential customer picture themselves benefiting from your product. And there are a ton of ways that commercials or advertisements do this. Like, Jake, would you be able to think of any methods that commercials use to kind of make you feel something and relate it back to yourself? Hmm. I don't know. To be really honest with you, I have ad blockers on and I don't watch that much TV. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I mean, yeah, I think at this point, a lot of us are are like that because we've seen so many of these. I think in commercials, the main one that I notice all the time is testimonials, especially testimonials for a service-based business. But this also goes for products as well. Like you're looking at success stories. That's really what commercials want to highlight. So to come up with an example, maybe there's a commercial by a pharmaceutical company, and I'm sure you can picture what this might be like say something for i don't know to help you help you sleep like with tranquila <laughs> i'm finally able to get nine hours of sleep every night i've gotten my whole life back <laughs> and my my kids notice it about me and notice that i'm have more energy and all those t- types of things like they're they're really trying to play to your emotion and get you to say wait a second i am like the person before they took <laughs> Tranquila. Is that what I said? Tranquila? Yep. I'm just like that person beforehand and I can make my life better too by taking Tranquila. And at the end, it's always ask your doctor at your next appointment about Tranquila and and see if you can get a prescription, Mm -hmm. which is a whole weird thing on its own, asking your doctor about- You guys don't want to talk about the pharmaceutical industry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I got some news for you. Yeah, we don't have to go there. (laughs) 
like, does that make sense though? You're, they're trying to get you to relate to something and it's through social proof. It's by you seeing another person that you can say, okay, this person benefits from this product and they are just like me. So maybe I'll benefit from this product as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then on top of that, after you've seen this person in this commercial who's benefited from whatever product it is, another way that you often see in advertisements where they kind of hook you and make you feel an emotion or or feel a connection to something is they use authority. So especially in commercials, you'll see, I, I'm, I'm going to connect this back to the pharmaceutical industry <laughs> just because I think this is a good example and easy to pick on. Um, but you'll see something at, in a commercial like, or maybe let's let's take one step away from pharmaceuticals and we'll we'll take it to the dental industry. Nice. One half step away from it. <laughs> you'll see a commercial like nine out of ten dentists recommend uh, shiny white toothpaste. Nice. You know, so they're they're taking an authoritative figure, a dentist, and using that to kind of guide you in a direction to feel like this is something that's going to be beneficial to you. I've always wondered like where they get these stats, nine out of 10 dentists. You're not polling all the dentists in the world or anything like that, but it doesn't really matter because hearing nine out of 10 dentists, you think, oh, well, 90% of the dentists out there can't be wrong. So maybe I should try this, this toothpaste as well. And when you say it out loud like that, it sounds stupid, but this happens subconsciously. This is why this is a whole industry. And I'm not suggesting that we use these tactics for our own gain in the music business. The reason I bring this all up is just to kind of illustrate to you that your opinions are formed by a bunch of these little things that are happening and that are going on around you that you're seeing and unconsciously connecting back to yourself. So these are the most visible kind of blatant examples of this in action, but we can connect back to this when we're talking about our music as well on a more subtle level where we're not straight up being like the stereotypical pharmaceutical commercial where they're pretty much, I don't know, some might argue they're straight up lying to you (laughs) in a lot of cases, but again, we won't go there. So let's connect this back now to social proof in music. And Jake, you said something to me earlier today before this episode that I want you to kind of dive into a little bit more. And we were talking about your own artist career and your own artist project and how you feel like social proof is maybe something that you need to work a little bit more on or that is missing from your kind of strategy when it comes to music. Is that an accurate statement? Did I hear you correctly on that? Yeah, I don't know if it's a a strategy thing or maybe people just don't like my music enough to share it with people that they're friends with or what? I don't know. Well, I think you, you say that people don't like it enough to share it, but why does anybody really share any music, do you think? Like, what's the catalyst that makes somebody think, I need to share this? Here's Here's what I think it actually is. I actually know that it, it's probably this. It's that it's all very melancholy. So you think that people don't want to share it because it's a like a downer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I can see where you might be coming from with that. But at the same time, I feel like people share a lot of things that are melancholy 
and, and stuff like that. Because I would say with with less people though, I wouldn't go and boast about some sad song that I just heard, some angsty sad song that I just heard on Instagram or. You know, maybe. Yeah, that's true. I mean, especially with social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. With social media, everything's all about like my life is amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I can see I can see that where you wouldn't want to share something because I don't know if you connect with a sad song that might put across some sort of image that makes it look like you're sad. I guess I could see not wanting you're to right. do that. There's a huge disconnect there between like my personality. Yeah, I could go on for I'm trying to figure it all out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but I mean this that's where this all gets really complicated because we're talking about people connecting with something right. and connecting with something in a way that they want other people to connect with it also even though they're not in any way like I don't know, like people aren't financially connected to an artist or something like that when they share music. They're sharing it because they want other people to feel the same way about yeah. it or to, I don't know, it's it's a complex thing. So I think one of the things that is kind of weird about this in music, social proof in music, is that it's not just about getting people to connect emotionally with something. Like you could argue that all the commercials and ads and stuff that we were talking about earlier, those are all things meant to try and get you to connect to something emotionally. Music is actually one step further than that, I think, because with music, you also have to get somebody to identify with the music or to identify with you. And this is where it gets really weird because when somebody's identifying with you or your music, they have to actually connect part of their sense of self to this Thing, you know what I mean? I think that's one of the big powers of music is that we can really internalize it as this part of ourselves. Like for a lot of people, if I asked you to describe who you are as a person, like the music that you like might come up in that mm -hmm. discussion, that in your description of yourself. Yeah, for Whereas sure. Whereas the toothpaste that you use is probably not. Right. Maybe you're really into toothpaste, yeah. but it's <laughs> we don't have the same type of connection. So it's further than an emotional connection it's actually an identity question here. So with music, that's a really, really big task. And I don't want to scare people away from <laughs> trying to make music thinking like, oh, like every song I make has to be like this life-changing thing for somebody or something like that. But this is the role that I think social proof has in the music industry. You're trying to, you're trying to actually get people to connect part of their identity to it. So how does this actually happen? How do people actually end up hearing something and then connecting it back to themselves and their identity? One of the things is the one that you already mentioned, Jake. And I think it's one of the main ones that is both most prevalent, like you'll see this most on like social media and stuff like that. But I think it's also one of the most underutilized things as a strategy for a lot of artists. Some people do this really, really well, but I think the majority of people don't do this because it can be kind of awkward. And that is recommendations. So when other people recommend your music, and we already kind of described one of the tricky spots there for somebody to recommend your music, especially when they've connected a piece of their identity to something, you're also asking them to kind of you know, give up a piece of <laughs> themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're They're making a statement about themselves when they recommend your song, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. 
Wow, guys, I just I, I gotta say thank you. You you've been going absolutely wild with the support, and you know we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And thanks to all of you. Uh, the podcast has been nominated for the Better Homes and Gardens Podcast of the Year 2020. So guys, please keep the five stars, the subscriptions, and the reviews coming. So you mentioned that you've had a hard time getting people to organically recommend your music, meaning that they just heard it and on their own volition, they they decide to make a post about it or something like that. I would argue, though, that before you can get to that part of an organic recommendation, to start out almost in every single case, you have to ask somebody for a recommendation. Is that something that you've put into your release strategy at all? Uh, No, not at all. So when you put something out, do you send it to other artists and say, like, hey, if you like this, throw up a post about it? No. I think that that is one of the big things that sets this apart for a lot of people. And actually, if you look back, uh, full transparency here, as far as this podcast goes, when we first launched this podcast, uh, on the day that we released it, we asked people for their thoughts and to leave a five-star review. And in every, I believe, every episode so far, we've asked you for a five-star review. Like, that's something that we actually go out of our way to mention, which, by the way, if you're listening to this right now, head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review, and we would really appreciate that for social proof purposes. And then have someone else leave a review for more social proof purposes. Yes, exactly. And But that's the key to this. So there's, there's this tipping point, I think, when it comes to recommendations. You have to kind of get the ball rolling yourself, get a few people to start leaving recommendations Uh, or to start posting about your music or even just talking about it to their friends, being like, hey, you should check out so-and-so. You have to get the ball rolling there. Ask somebody to do that. And then after a certain number of people have begun doing that, that's when that sort of snowball effect happens where you start getting that exponential growth. Somebody will recommend it to their friend or they'll recommend it to three friends and those three friends will recommend it to three more friends and things like that. And it starts building that way. But that's really, really hard to get to happen on the first few recommendations for the first few times that somebody recommends it. Because, like we said, they're connecting this back to their identity at, at a certain level. So if they're, they might have some hesitation to recommending something, even if they like it, because none of us really know if anybody else is going to like it. We have that kind of internal debate. Am I going to put this out there and be like, I love this song? And then everybody else is going to be like, what are you thinking? Like, this is terrible. Not saying that like would happen with your music, Jake, or anybody's music. I'm just saying like, that's the fear that people have when they're recommending something. You're, you're connecting it back to you. So that's something that I would say, Jake, you should try on the next release for something is just ask your friends. I mean, you're friends with tons of musicians. You got people that would like bend over backwards to help launch your song and everything like that. And they they all already like it. So you're sending things out to people. You're getting feedback from them like we talked about in last episode. So why not just be like, if you like it, on this date, I'm going to be putting this up. I'd really appreciate a shout out. Here's the thing. The friends that are going to post about it are going to post about it. You know what I mean? If someone was not going to post about it already, 
and the only reason they're doing it is because I'm asking them to, then I don't want them to. I guess. I mean, I can see why you would say that and why you would feel that way about it. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know if, if that's... I just, I like don't want fake support at all. I don't think that is fake support though. I don't know what it is, but it's like, and it's not, it's not like a, a dig at all. It's not like, oh, like you weren't going to post anyway, like screw off. But it's, it's like, no, like don't feel obligated if you weren't going to post and you're only going to post about it. If I text you about it, don't post about it. I don't want the post. I guess, but I just, I don't think that most people's first thought when they hear something new is to post about it anyways. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that people aren't going to post something because they don't want to post something about it. It's just that like the thought hasn't crossed their mind. Like that's one of the key Mm. things I think in this podcast, the reason that I think we mention reviews and everything, every single episode, it's not because we're trying to get people to leave a review. It's that you're just trying to remind somebody that there's a review that could be left, you know, Mm -hmm. like just because they haven't done something doesn't mean it's not something they want to do. And actually, just to connect this back to another thing that just happened to me recently, I had a college professor this year who retired. Great college professor, one of my favorite professors ever. Somebody created a Facebook page to kind of thank him for all of his work. Dr. Bolkovac, shout out. Great guy. So they put this Facebook page up and people were leaving nice messages and stuff like that. And I wanted to do something, but I didn't. I kind of sat on my hands. It wasn't really sure what to say, how to get across like my thanks to him or anything like that. What ended up actually getting me and my wife to actually kind of put together a post for this was the fact that I kept getting reminded about it. I wanted to think of something. I was trying to put together my words And I kept seeing posts about it. Like it ended up just giving me the confidence to sit down and actually put together all of my thoughts on it. It was like a catalyst to actually help me figure out how to do it in the way that was best for me. So I think asking for a shout out is a similar sort of thing. You don't have to call people up and be like, hey, look, I released this song. You're a person that should support me. And I think that you should do this. Like with us with reviews too. That's I didn't do that at all. I kind of like talked to people who I thought would be interested in the podcast. And I said, hey, I'm just letting you know this podcast is something new that I'm working on. I figured that you might be into some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about. And if you check it out and you like it, we we'd really appreciate reviews just to kind of help get the ball rolling. And I think in that case, that's a real review. That's not a fake thing, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll try it on the next release whenever whenever that is. Yeah, because also the other thing is that some of the people may just not know that you released something yet, you know? Yeah, yeah, that could be. Like these recommendations are some of the ways that people find out that you've released new music. Because like we said in episode one, what a lot of people think is that they're just going to post something on Spotify. They're going to put up a song and people are just going to somehow find it. This is one of those ways that people find something. Their friends post about it, which those friends then see, and whether they post about it or they just listen to it, and then they say, oh, look, I found this really cool person, Jake Mannix. He's like got a bunch of great songs. You should check him out. Like That's how all this sort of happens. It has to start somewhere. And I don't know. That's just my opinion, but I think asking is, is one of the good places to start. 
Yeah. One other way, and this is the one that you mentioned earlier, and I think this is a really, really interesting topic when it comes to social proof in the modern music industry, and that's streaming services, playlists, and algorithms that are actually recommending music. So to me, this is social proof as well, because even though in some cases, like in the case of an algorithm, it's not a human being recommending something to you, it's almost like the authority figure, like we talked about before, like nine out of 10 dentists. It's Spotify, the music expert Spotify, Mm. or the music expert Apple Music has looked at what you like and they think that you might like this as well. Like that's a form of social proof to me also. That's one of those things that I think is difficult to create for yourself. Like we don't have access to the algorithm. So that's one of those things that I don't know how you really act on that. But one of the ways that people do try and act on this is that they try and get on playlists. And playlists, in some cases at least, sometimes they're algorithm created, but sometimes playlists are the human element of this. This is where the tastemakers live. And they they kind of are the ones who are putting together these sorts of playlists. And Jake, have you is is that something that you've ever pursued? Playlisting for your own music? Yeah, for sure. Usually I'll, you know, find a playlist that has similar genre stuff on it and contact the owner and see what the prices are like and send it. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I I haven't really done myself. So I'm actually really interested to learn more about what the actual process is for all of that. Like, I know that there are some playlists that you can buy a spot in, Mm -hmm. and then there are some that are more, I don't know, more based on just a a single person, a single tastemaker, their opinion and, and what they put up there. But what's kind of the process for going after any of those sorts of playlist placements? I think it's different for everyone. Like, you can hire a company to submit your song to X amount of playlists, and they can guarantee that you'll get on this many of them. There's companies that just have a bunch of different genres of playlists or moods of playlists or just a bunch of different playlists that you can literally look up their website and buy onto their playlists. Or the way I did it was I would look through related artists and see what artists that I kind of fit in with and people that they're related with, what playlists that they're on. And right. find the the owners of that or the, you know, the contact for that. And so there's there's a ton of ways you can do it. Yeah. And, and I like what you just said there where you're looking up other similar artists that you might fit in or even not similar, but just other artists that you might fit in well with. Because I think that's actually another more overlooked form of social proof. That's not necessarily somebody making a statement about your music in particular, but it's it's like the algorithm situation. Like if somebody likes this, they might also like this. Yeah. So that's another kind of element of of social proof there. I think one thing with playlists that I kind of want to put out there as just a little bit of a a warning to people if this is something that they're looking to get after. We see things about playlists all over the internet. People are like that's the way of the future, like playlist 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 like Get all your stuff on all these playlists. One thing that I would say you want to look out for is vanity metrics versus developing actual true fans and followers. Because this is one of, the, I think, the traps 
when it comes to playlists that people get hooked into. And then at the end of the day, they feel like playlists don't actually work or this didn't actually work for me. Or maybe my music is just terrible. Like you can get really down on yourself when it comes to this. So the thing with playlists that I think is dangerous is that we focus so much on streaming numbers, like the number of plays that we've gotten and getting yourself onto a playlist can skyrocket those numbers depending on what the playlist is and how many listeners it has. Mm -hmm. The thing that's tricky about that is that big number doesn't necessarily really mean anything for you as far as fan conversion, like the people who are actually not just playing your song. Because here's the other thing is that a play on Spotify or I think Apple Music is the same. A play only means that somebody listened to 30 seconds of your song. It doesn't mean that somebody listened to the whole thing. So just because you have 100,000 plays on a song that was on a specific playlist doesn't actually mean that anybody really listened all the way through to the song or connected with the song. So that can be a really tricky thing that can skew the kind of music that you make the next time around or the playlists that you submit to the next time around because you got a ton of plays, but you didn't really actually convert anybody. You didn't convince anybody to follow you. And this could be because it's just the wrong playlist. Like it's something that you didn't fit into perfectly in the first place, but it just has a lot of followers. So I, I would caution against that. Don't just submit to something based on how many plays people are getting on there. Do what Jake suggested and actually try and find those playlists that contain artists or songs that are similar to what you're trying to promote. That's where the social proof comes in. If somebody likes this, they might also like you. So it's just something to be cautious about. Don't get too, too caught up in those numbers because it can end up kind of being a waste. Does that make sense? Do you see people doing that, Jake? Just kind of submitting to playlists that have big followings for numbers? Yeah. Yeah. I also see people, I don't know if they're doing it themselves or if they're buying onto playlists that are doing this to them, but I see a lot of people getting fake plays, fake followers. And it's obvious when you can see the metrics. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but metrics are public. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Like we can all see the numbers and the dips and, and the rises and all that stuff. So not I, I don't actively watch, but when I've had suspicion, I've been like, mm, let me check it out. And usually. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think that's the dangerous thing again when it comes to this whole concept of social proof, because the reasoning behind that, why people would buy fake followers on social media. That used to be a huge thing. Instagram, that was a major, major problem that they've now kind of cracked down on. But that was a, a major thing where people were buying tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. The reason at the core of why they were doing that, though, was social proof. You mm -hmm. show up to a, an Instagram page that has 100,000 followers. I don't know about you, Jake. I'm much more likely to follow a page that has a bunch of followers because Seeing that big follower number tells me, okay, there's something of value on this page that I might be interested in. Yeah. It's a subconscious thing, but if other people like it, I might like it too. I check. I always check. I check the like ratios. I check the comments yeah. to see what's up. Right. And I don't want to check those things. I don't want to care. <laughs> I've seen people buying verification badges now. Yeah, you, you can. can. I've heard of people uh, running fake like scams to try and get you to buy verification badges so they can just like take your money and 
disappeared or wherever. <laughs> yep, yep. I had someone propose that to me recently. Yeah. They're like, yo, let me help you out with your marketing. And then right. I looked at their page and I've known them. I'm not getting into it. <laughs> well, it's a tempting thing, no matter who it is suggesting it, because we see that social proof and how powerful it can be. Like toxic. Having that verification badge means something. It means that to a, cool. a person coming across your page, yeah, that you you have something of value there. It is cool though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's that's the big thing when it comes to social media and streaming service, I would say. Just don't fall into the trap of going after just vanity metrics. You want people to actually be connecting with something and that's going to change what you actually make as far as your content to your music or your social media posts and stuff like that. If you're actually trying to connect with people on that fundamental emotional and identity sort of level. So that's going to be the best, the best thing for you when you're going after that. Let's uh, wrap this up a little bit. There's only one more thing that I want to talk about when it comes to social proof. And this is maybe less relevant now than it used to be, but this is merch as an advertisement for yourself or a way to get your branding out there. And like we were talking about earlier, like graphic tees and stuff like that a while ago used to be a huge thing. I think that's the way I found out about like 80% of the bands that I was into in high school was that I'd see somebody wearing a t-shirt and be like, who's that? And they'd be like, oh, that's like the opening for the recommendation right there. Who's that? And then they're like, oh, that's this band that I've been really into and they're, they sound kind of like this. Oh, uh, let me pull out my, my iPod, whatever, whatever the little iPod mini or <laughs> whatever. And yeah, iPod nano, that's the one iPod nano. And, and I'll show you, I'll let you hear one of these songs. That was kind of the opening. Like I said, this isn't a huge thing now not as big as it used to be but it's something to also think about too when somebody's wearing your merch that is a free advertisement that's actually kind of an interesting thought it's a free advertisement and it's actually an advertisement that they paid you for <laughs> yeah. rather than you you buying an ad placement or, or something like that merch is important and like we said in a couple episodes ago about income streams can be beneficial to you as well but this is another reason that you shouldn't disregard merch or give up on merch because it is a form of social proof to help people, to help other other potential fans see that you're worth listening to and that they should check you out. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on this, Jake, before we wrap it up? The only thing I would say as far as branding and merch goes is if you really have an audience that's in tune with you and your personality and all that, try to make merch that is unique that's that's really the only thing like you can sell however many t-shirts you want but if an artist comes out with like something different that isn't just a t-shirt or a hoodie or sweatpants or whatever the typical stuff is the dad hats whatever i'm more inclined to buy it right because that's a another extra element that somebody can connect back to their identity you know rather than just connecting your artist moniker or your band name back to their identity they're connecting part of their actual style, potentially, if that's like a unique piece of clothing or a unique accessory, like a hat or something like that. I'm having a hard time thinking of what a unique merch item might be that would be a good example of this. Is there anything you can think of that you've seen lately that would be a good example of that? Uh, Yeah, Travis Scott's shoes that came out. I don't know if I've seen those. I don't remember how long ago it was, but it definitely was not a long time ago. But yeah, pretty much, pretty much anything that like 
an artist puts out that isn't the standard apparel, you know? Yeah, people are going to be more likely to see that and ask questions about it. And the more somebody asks questions about something, that's perfect for you because that opens up for the recommendation to listen to some music. And that's what we're talking about today. Social proof, people recommending your music to other people um, so that you can grow your audience. So something to think about next time you're going to release some new music or put out a new video or even put up a new post on your social media platforms. Think about ways that you can get other people to pass that information on, shareable content. And if there's anything that you can do to kind of break down that barrier, that resistance that people might have to share your music, share your content, or talk about you as an artist in the first place, anything that you can do to kind of make that easier for somebody is something that you're going to want to put some thought into. My hope for you is that you can go out there and not be afraid to actually ask for recommendations and things like that, whatever that might look like for you, whatever you feel the most comfortable with and get a whole bunch more fans because of it. So yeah, also go leave five stars on our podcast. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you very much. Leave the review, share it, maybe post about it. Say what's up to me and Kobe. Follow us on all your socials. That's it. Peace.